right, welcome back, guys. Thanks for joining us on Geeks and Hair to the Earth on Outlander Media Network. Our guest for this episode was not only the voice of Beast and the beloved X-Men animated series from the 90s, but he has a staggering body of work, including everything from voice acting to animated shows to video games, performing in all kinds of movies and TV shows from horror and sci-fi to kid shows. But is he actually a mutant? That's one of my questions. Uh, guys, we are proud to present George Abuza. Well, hello there. Hey, George. This is CK. I'm uh, the other host here on Geeks Inherited the Earth, and uh, it's nice to meet you. Uh, you're one of the main reasons I got into comics as a kid. just want to let you know firsthand. Uh, fanboying out a little bit. Um, also, uh, you're the reason I was able to watch X-Men, the animated series, because my dad loved Beast and uh, grew up with Beast. And um, so that, that show kind of was my, um, my drug into uh, comic books. That's how I got into comics. Well, that's pretty neat. <laughs> so did you ever... And it's really amazing because oh, go ahead, I go really ahead. hadn't given X-Men a, a thought for probably 25 years mm-hmm. until uh, Eric Leewald called and said he was writing a book about the making of X-Men, and we all started getting together again and doing Comic-Cons. So this is all coming back in waves now. Wow, that's cool. And it's really amazing to see how many people truly loved that series and how much it really meant to them. It really was a massive franchise. I mean, in the 90s, it was X-Men and Spider-Man from Marvel. I mean, that, that was it. And you were in 71 episodes of this show. That is massive. Yeah, I spent a good part of the first season in jail. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, no, you're not glossing over that. <laughs> what happened? No, they put Beast in jail in the first season. Oh, well, that's oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant you. I was like, oh, man. Dude, no, 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 no. I was actually a four-year-old kid during most of the uh, taping of that show on a series, uh, Maniac Mansion. Oh, that's right. You I was a mutated again. four-year-old kid who got stuck in his chamber with his uncle. And uh, I got zapped into a giant mutated kid, and he got zapped into a fly. (laughs) (laughs) For the rest of the three years we did that series, he did all of his uh, acting on green screen, dressed up in a fly suit. (laughs) And I I was dressed up as a four-year-old kid. And the studios where we shot uh, Maniac Mansion and the studio where we uh, taped uh, X-Men we're not far apart in Toronto. And I used to take breaks from the shooting and hop on my motorcycle dressed up in like a four-year-old kid and then zip over to the studio and lay down some tracks for X-Men and then go back and finish shooting on uh, Maniac Mansion. (laughs) (laughs) Convenient. That's That repaints the whole beast voice for me. Like, so... (laughs) The voice is so iconic. I got to say that, like that, I, the the random poetry stuff is, is what my parents greenlit me to be able to watch it because my mom's an English professor and she could never get me to get into any of that stuff. And I think it was like an Emerson quote or something that you did in one of the episodes. Oh, there was the everything. Place. They they hit poets from everywhere. Was like, there was even a made up one. A made up one. <laughs> Yeah. Was it a made-up name, or was it just a poem real quick? No, it's a totally made-up line and a totally made-up poet. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. They used to to hunt through obscure poetry to find appropriate lines during battle sequences where Beast would all of a sudden comment on whatever was happening with some sort of uh, poetry and then jump into the fray. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get into voiceover work? 
Well, I was always uh, an actor ever since high school. I got talked into doing a play by uh, my girlfriend when I was a senior in high school in Cleveland. And uh, as soon as I hit the stage, I knew this was it. This was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Oh, that's cool. So I, I was uh, a stage actor at the time. And uh, a friend who I was working with on a play was already doing voiceovers. And he said, uh, come and meet this agent and uh, see if you can get in doing voice because it's really uh, a great way to make a living. So uh, I went and met this, uh, actually it was an ad, not an agent, it was an advertising person who had uh, hiring uh, powers. And uh, she hired me to do my very first voiceover, which I think was a commercial of some sorts. And then uh, when I got into an agency, uh, they did a lot of voice, and they just started putting me up for all kinds of uh, animation and commercials, and it turned into a huge thing. That's pretty cool. Uh, so you've, yeah. al you've also voiced Beast in some of the video games, right? Yep, did we they did a few of the video games. Did they seek you out for that, or did they know they're going to go find you? Well, they you did it right in the same studio that oh, cool. uh, we did... Oh. Uh, we did it a, a piggyback to uh, the series. Looks like you also uh, maybe did a little work for Colossus, Omega Red, and Juggernaut in those video games, too, if my sources are correct. Yeah, I did a video game. I can't remember the name of that one, but I just uh, did another one for Ubisoft. Oh, cool. Which came out in October called uh, Starlink Battle for Atlas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty big, actually. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I played Carl Zeon. He looks like a lizard, but he's... Uh, Kind of like Beast. He's a uh, a very intellectual lizard, but he can also uh, hold his own in combat. <laughs> See, I always like that. I always like those characters. Beast always reminded me of the Spock of the X Men, oh, and I yes. really latched onto that. My dad pushed that on me too. Like he was always like, he liked Spock, he liked Beast, and um, so characters like that stuck out. And uh, that was another thing. Um, Hey, Dad, I'm talking to uh, Mr. Booza here. <laughs> and uh, he says hi. <laughs> and hi right back. Thanks for being a fan. It's, it's so hard to, to take... Like to get my line seriously right now because while you're talking, uh, uh, Michael on the show here is playing with a beast figure <laughs> the entire time. He broke it out of the box, did he? I did. Yep. You got to let him free. Yeah. And CK has a beast bobblehead that he's tapping the entire time you're talking. Like this is our point of reference during the interview. We're just looking at this like we're looking at you. <laughs> From one of the later Comic Cons uh, back in uh, the uh, the spring. I found a uh, large beast figurine in its original box. I bought it for my six-year-old grandson. So I bring it home, and I give it to him, and the first thing he does is he rips the box apart and oh, takes no. the beast out, and he starts <laughs> flinging it around and playing with it. <laughs> and his mother is going nuts. No, no, leave it in the box. <laughs> so what do you think of the conventions? Do you have any, like, do you have any crazy convention stories? Well, no, actually, I have nothing but warm uh, memories of all these conventions because I just started doing them this year. I've done only about three or four. But the uh, the outpouring of warmth from the uh, the fans, they all just are, are so loving and uh, so appreciative, which is something that we weren't aware of at the time that we were making the series. I mean, we were up here in Canada and pretty far removed from uh, 
the success that it was having all over the world and in the States. And the producers will never tell you. <laughs> no, that you, so you, you, this is huge. <laughs> so you found about all of this after the fact. This is all something I found out much later. That wow. the, I mean, I knew that we were successful because we went five seasons. So I knew that we were doing well. But the, the extent to which we had an impact on the audiences was uh, never anything we knew. Not until I started doing the conventions and the people who were kids then brought their kids to the show oh nice and said these are the guys that i listened to when i was your age and uh, you guys pulled me through some tough times in school and kept me going every day this is what i looked forward to when i came home saturday mornings turning on your show was my escape and it's really heartwarming i mean a lot of people just line up just so they can say hello and it's really uh, a great feeling. That's awesome. Especially I, I, in our old yeah. age now. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, you know, it was, I think like a lot of uh, people in my age that grew up, you know, geeky and nerdy, you know, it was not a cool thing at the time. And I remember that I would relate to other people in my class in school because the X-Men were outcasts, you know, and they had like a band of outcasts and you'd, you'd be, a, you know, somebody would see an X-Men comic book that you're hiding in another magazine when you're having lunch. And somebody walk by and be like, oh, I have that issue. And like that, the, the X-Men cartoon is really what got me talking to other people about comics for the first time. And it was always like other people like me that are like outsiders. Some of these people I'm still friends with, you know, 20 plus years later. So, yeah, it's got I think it had that effect because I don't think a lot of people realize that the X-Men were kind of outcasts yet. Like a lot of new oh, fans yeah. got turned into that. This is why uh, all the kids who identified with us are flocking to our tables now just to tell us about how much impact we had on their lives. Yeah, this was all about what they were experiencing. Make no mistake, uh, for generations now, anybody that reads an X-Men comic, when uh, when the Beast dialogue comes up, your voice is 100% in their head across many generations. <laughs> oh, I still read. Well, yeah, it's, in your, it's in his voice. When I went and auditioned for the uh, first X-Men movie, uh, <sighs> Brian Singer told me that it had not been for our comic book series the cartoon series that movie would not be made whoa wow i believe, I believe that yeah, I do. yeah because it was so impactful and, and even cal dodd who plays wolverine <laughs> said that he met hugh jackman and they had to listen to our show mm. all the actors that did the uh, live action had to listen and watch the cartoon series and hugh jackman Told Cal, he says, "You know, I'm really sick and tired of listening to your voice." <laughs> <laughs> but their uh, their model was the cartoon series. That is so That's amazing. Cool. And they even threw me a bone. They made me the truck driver that delivered Rogue to the uh, fight. I was about to bring that up. Yeah, <laughs> that was you. <laughs> I, I remember when I first watched it. Uh, my uncle told me he was like, "Hey, you know the guy that does the voice for Beast." He's the truck driver right here. Because I haven't seen that before. All the research I've been doing the last couple of days, and I just found that out now somehow. I just completely missed that. That is cool. Yeah, cool uh, cameo. I'm, I'm a, but you know what's even cooler? When I first came up to Canada in 1974, I lived at an address of this old dilapidated house. The address was 49 Ontario Street. And eventually the house got torn down in this huge voice studio got built there and the address of that studio is 49 ontario street 
my old house, and that's where we oh, tape every that's episode insane. of X Men. That's amazing. That that's the definition that's of meant to be. Wow. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. You know, uh, speaking of crossing over generations, I don't want to focus on any uh, anything particularly uh, age-related for anyone. I know I'm getting up there myself, but if my math serves correctly, you would have been 11 in 1960, and that is amazing. That's when all these characters were brand new. I mean, that's what's going on in your childhood. Do you have any memories from uh, from going up back then, some nerd stuff that you were into? What was that like back then? Well, for the, yeah, I, I had all the original X-Men comic books to what? start. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't want to go there because they got thrown out. Oh, no. Yeah, along with all of my baseball cards. <laughs> that that could have been a house right there. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I don't even want to go there. Yeah, no. uh, it's, it's, it's a sad thing. But this is what got me into it. I used to read uh, all these comic books, and my mother and my father were saying, ah, you're wasting your money on this stuff. This is should be reading the classics. So every now and then I'd, I'd buy a Classics Illustrated to show them that, uh, hey, see, I'm reading Ivanhoe. <laughs> <laughs> X-Men comic book stuffed inside of it. But they all got thrown out. I remember going home after I'd left home for a number of years already, and my parents said, you know, you don't live here anymore. You should come and get your stuff and get it out of our house. <laughs> so I said, oh, yeah, I got all these neat things. They're probably worth a lot of money now. So I went looking for them, and all the stuff that was left was crap. <laughs> oh, no. Where's the comic books? Where's the baseball cards? Oh. Uh, it happens to the best of us. I went. Oh, yeah. It was the other, it was the exact opposite for me. My mom was an English professor, and she got bored with the classics and then started stealing my comic books to read them. And every time I would try to throw them out, she would put them in a box going, they're going to be worth something. And all the ones that we kept were all the ones that you can find in a commons box for 10 cents now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, growing up in the 50s, uh, in the 60s, I mean, it sure was different. Like, TV was vastly different. I remember watching the original Superman series. Cool. Oh, that's cool. And uh, that was what I used to come home to every day. Back from school, turn on the TV, and there was Superman. Done it on his blue screen. And <laughs> that was the uh, the Adventures of Superman, right? With George Reeves. Yeah, yeah, that was the original one. Yeah, I used to watch that show every night before I went to bed. That was uh, a early childhood when um, TV Land came back on. I loved that. I mean, anything superhero though. I mean, I can't imagine growing up and having that, having live action Superman and. Like 50, oh, yeah, 60. I used to tie the old blanket on my shoulders and pretend I was Superman awesome. and climb up on the roof. I never jumped off, oh, but I kind of <laughs> knew that gravity did have a pull. Yeah. But I, it was neat to pretend. And <laughs> I, I, Another superhero during that time, people don't really consider him a superhero, but I bet you were big into the Bond. James Bond? Yeah. Well, quite frankly, uh, yeah, I read every one of the novels. Cool. Whoa. I used yeah. to stick them inside my uh, textbooks and read them in class. Ah, that's amazing. By that time, I was—I read all the James Bond books when I was in uh, in high school and junior high. Oh, what, and I'd take the paperback with me and I'd stick it inside the textbook and be reading it in class. And occasionally, they'd be confiscated. <laughs> but paperbacks were cheap enough; you could always go out and buy another one. <laughs> yeah, that's the trick. Uh, I still have them. Those I still have. You still oh, cool. have those? Oh, those are great. Those the original Bond paperbacks. Those oh. those have still got to be worth a pretty penny, too, though, so that's good. Well, I don't know. You'd be surprised that uh, it has to be pretty uh, good condition, and uh, 
they were all well read. These weren't like preserved. There wasn't no, uh, oh, this will be worth something someday. It was read it quickly as you can before you get caught. <laughs> My dad took me to see the movies. Oh, yeah. Who was your favorite Bond? Like, all time. Well, Sean Connery is. Yeah. That's, That's correct. Agreed. That is the, that is the correct I mean, I had answer. to suffer through every other Bond after that. And, uh, I mean, I I... I would not even expect to see him now. I mean, it was, you know, everybody's old. <laughs> there was a time when, you know, he got to the point where you admit you can't do it anymore and they got to get a younger guy. I don't know. I think it'd be funny to see Sean Connery, like right now, do a new Bond movie. That, that would be. That, that would, would save. The no, movie. it would be pitiful. <laughs> it would save it really it would comedy. be. And nothing against Sean Connery because I think he's fabulous. But. There's something about an old guy trying to pretend that he can still do stunts and beat people up. It reminds me of that movie, The the Wild Geese. I don't know if you remember that, but it starred Richard Burton and uh, a host of other aging actors ah. who played mercenaries that go and liberate some African country. And uh, it was much like the Stallone movies now, The Expendables, where all these old guys get together and pretend that they're superheroes again yeah that's a good point the expendable movies are just funny to me because like they're, they'd have to cut away from the action for, for stunt doubles so well, you get stunt guys that yeah. do their running for them and that do their walking for them and you know they're fine as long as they got to stand still and talk but as soon as there's action you know that's not them doing it well speaking of movies i wanted to ask you about uh christmas horror story because uh, uh I just watched that and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> that is a great horror movie. It really was. Uh, I, I I did not expect to see uh, uh, Santa fighting zombie elves. That was cool. <laughs> that was really cool. One of the coolest things that's ever happened in film. I could not stop laughing. I could watch a two-hour movie just about that part. In fact, that's what I wanted more of. Great acting all around, though. Great acting. All did around. you get to meet Shatner when you were on that? Oh, yeah, I did. What? Yeah. I went down to Los Angeles to shoot that one. He did all of his stuff in one day. No way. Well, it's Shatner. Yep. Yeah, I can believe Makes it. I can believe oh, it. He's great. He's, he's really great. He was very gracious. And uh, I'll tell you, this guy had all that dialogue down, and uh, he did everything in one day. That is insane. And the only reason they had me there was to press that sign up against the window. <laughs> and that proved us that I was working at the same radio station. Uh, I, the, I won't spoil out the ending for the listeners that haven't heard it, but man, I, I, I thought you did phenomenal for the, the closing arc of that. That was really cool. <laughs> well, I don't like the spoiler because I think that that's what makes the movie. Yeah, yeah the really end, that, that, that ending came out of nowhere. I was like, oh, wow, they, there's some really smart Even writing my, in this. I got my grandsons, the older ones, in to see the movie, and they all went, "Wow, <laughs> what a great ending!" It's it's so good to see it. Like a, a good like good horror anthologies are you know hard to come by, but a Christmas one on top of that, I thought was really cool. Uh, speaking, I of- loved the music. What they did with the opening music was just fabulous. Chills went up my spine when I heard it. Oh, it's got a really good score. Yeah, the score's really cool. Yeah, what's well, called Christmas carols? Yeah. Speaking of uh, Christmas, I happen to know there's more than uh, one Christmas project on your list there. Is that intentional? You are uh, your Christmas guy? You, teach the, uh, you seek those out? No, I don't. Uh, I don't seek anything out. You don't, as an actor, you don't have the opportunity to seek things out. You get auditions, and uh, if you're lucky enough to grab the part, you take it. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know about and, that. Uh, you know, I'm a big guy, and uh, there was a while there, they did a bunch of Santa Claus stuff. Yeah, it was fun, but in Canada, they shoot all these things in the middle of summer. <laughs> <laughs> so the Christmas, uh, what was it, the, uh, the one where they sue Santa Claus for not getting a uh, case for Christmas. We were having the worst heat wave ever in history. It was like 110 degrees. Oh, my God. And I was dressed up in the full Santa regalia, and that heat did not let up for the entire shoot. And some of the places, that courtroom scene in there was in a non-air-conditioned old warehouse. I really thought that a couple of times I was just going to keel over. Did it help with the performance? I tell you, the performance had to kind of rise above the heat. <laughs> it didn't help because Santa's supposed to be uh, at the North Pole. <laughs> I tell you, where it did come in handy was uh, that scene where I had to fight uh, Krampus. We shot that in a stable. That was done in the middle of winter, and it was twenty-five below zero the day we what? shot that. Whoa! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Yeah, and, and that that dude like. That played the he Krampus. was wearing nothing. That, that was a coat of paint. Yeah, that's not a suit. <laughs> that no, that's not a suit. And, and uh, that's his own muscles and everything. He's he's a, he's a bodybuilder, oh, stunt man. He has like four percent body fat. Yeah, he is a. Monster. And he was he was on the verge of hypothermia. Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, some of the uh, like the the uh, interview footage with you guys in it and I'm like oh my god this man is gigantic like, he looks like he ate yeah. a baby for lunch yeah. <laughs> well he's uh, that's his he is a professional bodybuilder oh cool and uh, he got into movies because of his size and his uh, talent and stunts and stuff but uh, he is that's his thing his competition and uh, bodybuilding but doing that scene in that in that stable, the fight, I tell you, I didn't want to be him. <laughs> I was nice and toasty. I had all my long johns on and the full Santa outfit. I didn't have much of a problem at all, but looking at him, God, I used to just, God, how can you stand it? Maybe, maybe for then, you it was good karma from having to do the other one in 125 degree heat. <laughs> Yeah, but this is that's part of being an actor. I mean, in the wintertime, you dread to hear, hear the uh, AD say, okay, take their coats. Because <laughs> no matter what it's like outside, you still got to be in wardrobe. So you're not wearing a parka. The rest of the crew is dressed up like they're in the Arctic. <laughs> you're out there in a sport coat pretending that it's uh, spring. And then they say, can you stop shivering, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happened with the, the uh, It's a Wonderful Life. That was the, what they call the George Bailey curse. Is back in the day, every time they would want to film a Christmas movie, it would be 95 degrees and um, sunny outside. So they have to wait till nighttime in L.A. and dump snow. So in It's a Wonderful Life, it's like 100 degrees. Oh, that whole that. shoot. <laughs> yeah, well... That was the same here. Every single Santa Claus movie I did that was shot in the summertime, it was in the 80s, 90s, and that one was in the 100s. As a, as a movie goer, you kind of always forget that, oh, you know, this movie's coming out at Christmas. Oh, wait, they didn't film this at Christmas. They must be miserable. I had never equated that until, like, now. <laughs> yeah, well, all those Hallmark movies, you never see anybody's breath. You know, yeah, you see the true. snow in the background, but that's all cotton batten. And yeah, I don't want to be a spoiler here. But <laughs> <laughs> I 
All I can think of is, my God, these people must be dying. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think Gremlins was the same way. I'm pretty sure that they, that was all fake snow and everything. I'm pretty sure that Gremlins was not shot at Christmas time. <laughs> well, the one I did with uh, the country and western singer where I was uh, uh, a driver who helped him get home for Christmas, they put snow on the ground because we, we were filming outside of a hockey arena. So they sent in the Zamboni to scrape off a, a layer of the ice, and they put piles of snow everywhere, and we had to shoot quick before it melted. <laughs> that's actually really smart. <laughs> I mean, that's what you do. That's what you got to do. So you have, uh, you've been in SCTV. You've been on Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Twilight Zone, Kung Fu, just one iconic show after the next. Uh, do you have a favorite role, favorite uh, show you've been on? Is that something you can identify? Well, I really like the motorcycle, the dead biker in uh, Friday the 13th. Cool. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun to do. <laughs> I mean, we got to terrorize a town in the middle of the night and ride up and down with these blasting Harleys. And- oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's rad fun. Yeah, I would sign up for that job in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That was, that was fun to do. Those iconic shows, uh, like they were all shot in Canada. So... What, as an actor, you just bounce from one show to with the other uh, as a guest, <clears throat> and eventually you you made the rounds. And back then, you know, I was uh, I was in my thirties, so there was a lot more opportunity than when you're in your sixties. Things definitely die down as you get older because they don't write stuff for the older actors. This ah. is why Stallone and them write their own stuff. Oh, that, makes oh, sense. that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'd never. Even... Because nobody thinks to write uh, parts for older actors. And now that there's no Love Boat. (laughs) (laughs) I I have heard the Love Boat's coming back. I've heard the Love Boat's coming back. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, there's hope then. We can can work again. (laughs) (laughs) I I think now is a great time. That's where all old actors in the States used to go. I got a stint on Love Boat. It's going to happen. It's going down. That and Hollywood Squares. (laughs) Oh, man. I, I remember being a kid, every time somebody would be in Hollywood Squares, my dad would just stare at the screen and go, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in the acting community, and uh, a lot of my friends that I know, uh, they love Toronto and Vancouver so much more than the air, like the Atlanta area and the New York area and the L.A. area. Uh, how do the sensibilities treat you up there? Is that where you prefer to be? Well, this is, uh, yeah, definitely. When I came up here, uh, I was brought up to do one play, and uh, the jobs just kept getting offered one after the other, so I eventually came up as a uh, permanent resident. I had to go back to the States and apply. But at that time, in the early 70s, Toronto was in its infancy in theater and TV and film. Film didn't actually blossom here until the late 70s, early 80s. So it's kind of like being in the ground floor of a, a really blossoming industry. Well, that's awesome. And the theater was, uh, there was so much avant-garde theater here, which is exactly what you would want if you were going off-Broadway or off-off-off-Broadway. The small independent theaters that were doing new plays, and that was what was the most exciting, because at that time, that's all I did was theater. And to go from uh, one play to the next, and then eventually into the regional theaters, doing some of the old classics, it was a really, really exciting time. And then when TV and film came to life, 
things really got exciting because you you just literally could go from one show to the other. Movies were coming up through here all the time. Got to work with a lot of exciting people. Uh, I got to work with George C. Scott in uh, Descending Angel and Eric Roberts. So there was always an opportunity. I worked with Richard Harris twice up here. Oh, man, that's That's awesome. (laughs) You know, so there was all these icons that as a kid I was watching uh, in movies, and all of a sudden there they are, and you're sharing the lens with them, you know, and you're, you're actually doing dialogue with George C. Scott. You know, that, those are heart-stopping moments. Absolutely, oh, yeah, of course. Memories. <clears throat> it's George C. Scott. <laughs> Great Scott. CK, CK is stuck on that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's like, oh, yeah, that, there was a, we were doing a scene, and there, there was all these uh, things about timing of entering and exiting and people passing at the right time. And we'd done about four or five takes already. And the director's setting up to do another one, and George C. Scott just goes, I'm getting tired of this. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> oh, I bet he was awesome. Is there still a lot of plays going on around there uh, now? Because I know, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. there's still a lot of theaters. There's uh, actually quite a bit more that are uh, that have survived that are now regular repertory theaters and uh, they're still doing new plays and uh, avant-garde pieces. Are you still doing the plays have with them too? The, the Mervish franchise, which is bringing up all the big Broadway plays and international musicals. Oh. So there's tons of theater going on here. Oh, you that's that's lucky. I know where we're, 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 we're located in uh, Tennessee. There's nothing. <laughs> there's like the university will have like two a year and uh, outside so of that I'm from it's... Cleveland and there's only a couple of theaters there and you know they've shot a couple of movies in Cleveland but it's not a movie hub you need a, a, a big infrastructure because they don't want to be sending all this stuff all over the place you know, they want a developing place right on the spot an editing place on the spot they want crews <laughs> So you got to have an infrastructure. This is why movies are located in uh, places that have got uh, facilities and studios. And... Well, that's a good point. I mean, I've been to Tennessee quite a few times, and uh, it's a lovely state, but unless they start building studios and inviting uh, and ex- making it uh, welcoming for people to come and, and do the arts there, which is usually generated by government subsidies or tax breaks, this is what attracts the business. Yeah, well, this state's not really known for infrastructure. I'm pretty sure most of our <laughs> residents don't know what that word means. <laughs> well, it's, it's also based on population. Right. Yeah. And we're sprawled out. Uh, yeah, but this... you're sprawled out. The cities aren't as big as uh, New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. Oh, no. And it's, to this day, in the States, if you want to go and do theater, those are the three cities you've got to go to. Yeah, my friends that don't, that are still into that all moved to Chicago for that. So yeah. Yeah, well, see, my best friend in university uh, went to Chicago, and I went to Toronto. He now runs a major theater in Chicago and has been on Broadway, and uh, he's gotten all kinds of awards, and he's the artistic director of the theater. You know that uh, that says a lot for Chicago and for him. You know, I chose Toronto, and uh, I think I've done okay. <laughs> I would definitely but, say uh, that, yeah. 
you know, you've got to go to a major center in in order to uh, to achieve that. My options would have been New York or Los Angeles, and because I grew up in Cleveland, New York was closer. So I did make a couple of forays down there. But I was sure glad when Toronto opened up because New York is intimidating. I imagine. You you give a very loving depiction of Toronto. Like I, I I'm learning a lot about this right yeah, now. I want to go there now. So. Yeah, I kind of want to go now. <laughs> it's a neat city. It it's is a really neat city. It is. Well, we uh, we do have our uh, fair share of comic conventions that come through. So if you ever find yourself in Knoxville at a con, we will treat you well. We'll we'll show you the, uh, well, the red carpets. <laughs> we were just in uh, what was it? Where were we? Uh, Chattanooga. Oh, cool! You were you were, you were right at our neighbor's place. <laughs> yeah, we we did Chattanooga back in uh, May or so or June. Some I am bad at my research to have not known that, or I would have uh, met you then and been interviewing you now. <laughs> yeah, we saw the Chattanooga Choo Choo. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a requirement. You got to. We're doing another show uh, down in uh, San Antonio, and I get to see the Alamo because we did one outside of San Antonio just before that, the Tennessee one, and we never got into the city to see uh, any of the sites. But this next one coming up in November is going to be uh, right downtown, and the convention center is right next door to the Alamo, so I'm going to get to see it. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. Nice. Because I love going around the city from places we visit and uh, taking the tours. I just came back from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, got up early in the morning and took a guided tour of the city before the con opened. Boy, what a what a neat place! And this is the great thing about this is you get to travel, and uh, I'm, I'm, I enjoy that. I'm just <laughs> shocked that you've only been doing cons for this short of a time. Me too. That's a good it's, point. Yeah, I figured this would have been a thing for a while. But it's it's it's. No, I never. Uh, I was never approached about it. <laughs> and I never even gave it a second thought. I mean, I was kept pretty busy with uh, doing what I was doing, the movies and everything. We're in shock over here in the studio right now. Like, all three of us, our collective jaws are just down. Like, why did they not call him? And like, the other part of me is like, I'm so glad they called him now. <laughs> You're going to be well, so Cal, busy. who played Wolverine, only started doing him a year ago. What? Yeah. And he's the one that talked me into it. He says... Jose, he says, you got to get into this. This is great. He says, you meet all these people, and he says, you feel nothing but love. You got to start. And he's the one that put me up for the very first one, because I got it was when it was the Tennessee one. Because I'd already <laughs> agreed to do San Antonio. This was through Eric Leewald, who wrote the book about the X Men, and this was going to be our big X Men reunion. We got four of the cast members together, and the animator Larry Houston. So we, there was about six of us there from X-Men. I get an email from Chattanooga saying, oh, I'm so happy that you're going to be our guest. <laughs> and I'd never heard of them before. I never talked to them. I said, well, what happened? How did this happen? So I called up Cal, and I said, Cal, I just got this email. Somebody put me up for uh, Chattanooga. He says, oh, that was me. You're coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> Did you keep up with many of the people from the show after this? Because you said, you know, if it's a small area where you're all working, like, you guys still get to yeah, work together. Yeah, the ones that the stayed in Toronto, like, Cal and I see each other at auditions all the time, and we work together every now and then on voice stuff. Uh, Lenore Zan, who played Rogue, is now a member of provincial parliament in uh, Nova Scotia, so we don't get to see her. Oh, 
she's my favorite. And she's now <laughs> running for uh, federal member of parliament. And uh, I see Tony Daniels every now and then at auditions. The guy that played uh, Gambit, uh, uh, he's down in Los Angeles. Oh, mon ami. That's, a, that, that's another one of those voices that every time I read a comic book and yep. see Gambit, oh, yeah. it's his voice it's every time. It's definitely his voice. Pretty much. <laughs> well, our con is going to be down in Los Angeles, and we're going to see everybody there again. That's exciting. Uh, what about Yeah, I'm going I'm to see an old friend that I haven't seen in 40 years. Wow. wow Ron Perlman. Cool. Whoa! Whoa. Oh, nice. Ron Perlman. <laughs> Ron and I did uh, Quest for Fire together in oh. 1980. Wow. And he was one of the four leads, and I was a member of the uh, Cannibal Tribe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw the movie, but we were the ones that had the people hanging from the trees and were eating them piece by piece. <laughs> that sounds like a fun day at work. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, it was, that was filmed in Kenya, and uh, the meat sat out in the sun for all day, and then I, I had to chew it, and uh, it was pretty disgusting. <laughs> I had to eat the arm that was ham, uncured ham that had been sitting out in fly-infested African air. Oh, God. Oh. I think I'm going to wait was, on uh, dinner after the show for a little bit after that. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, there was not a lot of appetite for dinner that day. I, uh, I got to sing Born to be Wild. With Ron Perlman at a con, uh, Dragon Con, not Dragon Con, Magfest 2010, and uh, and a karaoke and the karaoke Magfest thing. Um, I got drawn to do that, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, he's a really cool guy. Um, he is, and it'll be so great to see him because he's going to be the featured guest at the L.A. Con. Um, does Norm show up uh, very often, Cyclops? No, I see him every now and then around the neighborhood. <laughs> Because we live in the same area of town. Are you not like, come on, man, let's go. <laughs> well, that's up to him whether he can go or not. I'll tell you what, man. I mean, that's another one of those voices. Uh, the voice, the look, the everything. I love Cyclops. And Cyclops has been done not to the caliber that I wanted him to be done in film so far compared to the leadership and his Captain America-ness in the animated series and in Jim Lee's 90s X-Men. Um, and uh, Norm's incredible. Like that voice is just—it's commanding. It's a leader. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Speaking of cons, um, since you just started doing them, has anybody come up to you and uh, quote one beast thing that's uh, like over and over again? Do you hear something all the time? No. People ask me what my favorite quote was, and it's kind of hard to remember. But that there was one where uh, we're about to storm. Something and uh, this lady uh, tells me to go do something, and he says, calls me Blue Boy. Blue Boy, go over there and do this. And he uh, turns to the lady. He says, "My name is Mr. McCoy, madam, not Blue Boy." <laughs> I, I literally watched that episode last night. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I love. So it. that's the I quote that it. I use because I can't remember all those poetry things that people oh, have. God. <laughs> It's, I'd have to write them down and carry them around with me. So that one sticks in my mind. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I, I remember ones from uh, Tennyson, Emerson, um, The Bard, of course. Uh, yeah. Well, my favorite episode is Beauty and the Beast, where yes. Beast gets to fall in love. Oh. Yes, yes, it's the, oh. one of my favorite episodes of X-Men, the animated series. <laughs> so good. I watched that one last night, too. <laughs> 
Well, uh, we don't want to take up uh, too much of your evening here, but I've got one last question I want to know for you. What is George Booz's mutant power? Mutant power? I don't have any mutant powers. I wish I did. No. (laughs) (laughs) If you did, if you did, which one would you want to have? I was asked that question before, and it was, uh, I said I wanted uh, Wolverine's healing powers. Yep, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to hard to fight with. That would be useful. Yeah. I wouldn't want anything, you know, violent or I don't want his claws. <laughs> but the fact is, he can he can get shot and then just zoop, heal up again. Oh, I'm I'm also wearing a shirt of uh, Kyle's version of Wolverine. Yes, you right are. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've definitely got the mutant power of longevity in the industry, and we're really glad yep. that you took time out of your day to uh, let us sit here and uh, ask, ask you a bunch of weird questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, these were good questions, and I'm really happy you called. It was a really great interview. Thank you very much. Uh, you were absolutely delightful. Thank you so much. And I hope that our listeners are going to go see you at the cons, go check you out, meet you in person, and I hope that we get to as well soon, too. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to come back at some point to Tennessee. So just keep your ears open and uh, eyes open and see which ones, because I think they're going to want us back at some of them. Oh, that'll be great. Do you have any upcoming projects you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I did a day on a movie or a TV series for Netflix called uh, Jenny in Georgia. That's in the works right now. They're shooting it. Uh, can't really talk about it. NDA because I don't know much about it. (laughs) (laughs) The best NDA is lack of information. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. Everybody's got their NDAs. Well, uh, Disney, uh, Disney's actually uh, about to launch that big Disney Plus network, and they're remastering that '90s X-Men cartoon in high definition. So you're about to be presented to a whole new generation of fans to see again. Well, that's pretty exciting. I did another series for Disney that was uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, Oh, that's right. I played the next door neighbor who always got blown up. <laughs> That's right. Oh my god. Sorry, I'm freaking out. That was part of the time of me watching those cartoons, and that, that show was fantastic. And you were the funniest part. <laughs> oh my god. I tell you, I got slimed so many times. I spent most of my time standing in front of an air cannon. I said, "Okay, what am I going to get hit with today?" <laughs> it was everything from whipped cream to spaghetti to uh, exploding vegetables I'm hoping that'll be you know there was the the same producers that did that were the ones that did the adventures of Sinbad ah and I played Sinbad's brother and we shot that down in South Africa and so when the series ended I got a call from Ed Naha who was the head writer on Sinbad said I'm working on uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids now said I want you to come and read for the next door neighbor so I read for it, and uh, after some hoopla, I got the part and spent the next two years shooting out in Calgary, standing in front of an air cannon. <laughs> you have worked all over the world and in front of an air yeah, cannon. Yeah, I have. <laughs> that's amazing. Also, the Great White North. Well, that's one of the benefits of this business is you get to see a lot of places. Oh, that's, that's outstanding. Also, just last congrats. I didn't get to get to it earlier, and I uh, just want to say um, I know you're on SCTV, and SCTV is one of those things that changed my life, too. So just letting you know I geeked out on that. Well, thank you very much. SCTV was a lot of fun. Those were the people that did, uh, honey, uh, the, uh, oh, no, 
senioritis coming in here. <laughs> Maniac Mansion. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They did that Maniac was, Mansion. Strange That period. was an offshoot of SCTV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm into my, uh, my Canadian television, so. <laughs> That's you know who owns that? Mm-mm. Family Channel. Oh, my Get a streaming service, Family Channel. What's wrong with you? I think they're like the one, the, the only holdout without right. a streaming service now. Three dollars a month. Channel. I saw his mansion because they invited me down to Virginia Beach when we were shooting the series to do some promos and stuff, and that was quite an impressive. Uh, they got quite the operation. They also own the Game Show Network. I remember they invited me to the uh, convention in uh, Houston, or no, Dallas, the TV convention. And there I was representing the Family Channel and Maniac Mansion. And they kept pulling me away from the Playboy Channel booth. Oh, new playmate, got to get her autograph. <laughs> I, 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 get I, I back get here, this too. is the Family Channel. <laughs> Uh, of all the channels to be representing and to be going to the Playboy booth from the family yeah. channel. <laughs> well, I guess we'll let you uh, get back to what sounds like a most wonderful life up there in Canada. We really appreciate you spending some time with us tonight and learning a lot about uh, about your life and sharing that with our listeners. Yeah, this has been Great. a pleasure. Thank you very us. much. Hey, thank you, man. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, see you, bud. <laughs>